0: Panda Surfboards is providing a shiitake for you. One lucky listener on September 1st. Congrats, by the way, to Eric Holland of San Francisco, California, for winning John John Florence's Pizel Shadow that we gave away last week. And um, so you might be asking, what is a panda shiitake? Well, it's the perfect board for the everyman. Perfect for the lifelong intermediate. But I'll let shaper Blake Peters tell you all about it.
2: The aim of this board was to make a mid-length shaped board or a a long fish but keep keep the performance built into the board. I don't want this thing to just be straight down the line and not be able to turn. We've got a uh, beak nose up front blending into a down rail. Having that low rail really allows me to engage into turns and push it hard without being stuck and having too much foam. We have a slight roll V through the entry because of the uh, flat nose rocker. You wanna keep this entry rolled, helps cut through the chop and stop any catching. We blend that into single concave under the chest, blending into a double concave starting from about third up the board into a concave V running out the tail. Um, This fin setup really uh, is the forgotten setup. It's a twin fin with two canard fins on the side. These fins are splayed out at a a more aggressive angle to your main twins. They help initiate your turn. They break the water before it hits the main fin and basically what it does is creates a hell of a lot more speed and the way that it turns, it almost pivots tighter and makes, say like a, a top turn, makes it more effortless and easy. Everyone that's surfed this so far has been blown away by the amount of performance it has. I've also just made one for my team rider, Robbie Rickard, for a trip to the Wise. He surfed exact same fin setup as this, the are. The surfed it in some pumping conditions as well. And then I've surfed it in anything from waist-high Sano, and then I've surfed it in some really good hollow beach break conditions. Just allows that early entry, you can surf it in the hollow stuff, just get behind the section and backdoor it, and the things, it's like cheating. It's a super fun board. This is gonna be a model that's gonna stick around for a long time.
0: The mid-length was so 2021. This is shorter, but it retains a lot of that same forgiveness that we all grew to love in our mid-lengths. So you can get one at pandasurfboards.com or win it here for free on Surf Splendor by supporting our work for $5 a month. We are listener supported. It keeps us independent and free to do what we want, free to do what you want. And as a thank you for your support, we do these giveaways, surfsplendorpodcast.com. Click over to support the show. It'll only take you a minute to set up. And in fact, Blake Peters from Panda Surfboards has been a supporter for years now. So it's really high time that we shine this light on him and his incredible work. Thank you, Blake. Thank you, supporters. We will pick one winner at random, as we always do on the first of the month, So get your support set up anytime before September 1st, Pacific Standard Time, and you will be included to win this. Best of luck to all. sunbum.com promo code SURFSPLENDOR for 15% off. And uh, of course we should all be vigilant about sun care regardless of how much or how little time you spend in the sun. And SunBum actually fits this perfect little niche in my world. I want to support companies that are doing good work, but I also really want convenience. And I was actually in New York two weeks ago. I forgot to pack sunblock, which kills me because I have tons of SunBum at home. But I was walking around in 90 degree weather all day. So I just walked into the nearest, the very first CVS that I found to get whatever sunblock that they had. And wouldn't you know it, SunBum. Was on the shelf it couldn't have been easier so i want to support them because they are invested in surfing because they make products that don't harm the planet animals nor people for that matter so i'm already sold but then the fact that they are readily available wherever i happen to be on the road just makes my life so much easier so i always want to support locals so buy it from your local surf shop but they are also available nationwide. And then if you wanna save 15%, go to sunbum.com, use our promo code, which is SURFSPLENDOR, all one word. It's a one-time discount. It's valid through the end of the year. So stock up with that one-time purchase. And while you're there on sunbum.com, I encourage you just to click around so you can learn more about how their products are reef safe, they're gluten-free, they're sulfate-free, all of that important stuff. But suffice to say, trust is key, and you can trust the bum on sunbum.com. Enjoy. And of course, athleticgreens.com slash surf is our steadfast and true nutritional essential. The only time that I've been sick in two years was this past week, and it was after I neglected to bring AG1 on the road with me. Coincidence, perhaps, but honestly... I think that I compromised my immunity in more ways than one, let myself down without the AG1, found myself vulnerable, and I won't make that mistake again. AG1 certainly boosts the immunity, but it's also more than that. It packs comprehensive nutrition into one scoop of dark green powder, superfood and nutrients, pulverized into a powder that you mix with eight ounces of water. It's simple, it's easy, it's effective, and that's really all I want. It's been a real key component to my health and to my daily brain functioning, key to pumping out all of this content week after week, year after year. So thank you, AG1. Join me, join Tim Ferriss. Uh, That's who I originally heard about Athletic Greens from years and years ago. I've gotten Jamie Brissick on this program. Uh, Britt Merrick's gotten on board. Matt Parker was on this even before I was. So anyways, athleticgreens.com surf is our portal. Make sure that you enter there. It supports us, lets them know that you heard about it here. So athleticgreens.com slash surf. Sign up. It'll show up at your doorstep every month. You won't ever have to worry about getting the important stuff in your diet again. Athleticgreens.com slash surf. Enjoy. Dario Phillips is our guest today. Dario and I first crossed paths through Quicksilver about 10 years ago. I had been doing some video production with their team riders, many of whom lived locally in Southern California, but all of whom, regardless on where they were globally, they would all pass through Southern California at some point in the year. Dario was responsible for cultivating Canadian surf talent. And aside from what he was actually hired to do for the brand, he really developed a reputation for being a hard worker and always going above and beyond to deliver. So years later and years into me making this podcast, I was introduced to a young guy named Kyle Spencer, whom had co-founded a towel company called Slow Tide. Kyle and I met at Sidecar Donuts for coffee in Costa Mesa, California. We shared our visions for what we were both doing in the surf space for our burgeoning little companies And Kyle mentioned that Dario Phillips was one of his two other co-founders in his company. And I immediately knew that that was like jet fuel for Slow Tide and that they would be going places. And that I would love just to be associated with them in any capacity going forward. So the surf world has changed tremendously in the decades since Dario and I first crossed paths. And perhaps because he's based in Canada, he and I had never actually had like an official sit down, uh, getting to know one another conversation. So when I was outlining this series of podcasts about founders, people who are running companies that service and also contribute to surf culture, I figured that it would actually be a perfect time to get to know Dario and to share that conversation with you. So, without further ado my name is david scales for surf splendor and here is my conversation with surf industry stalwart and slow tide co-founder dario phillips enjoy <music> Dario.
3: Hey, David. How are you?
0: Wonderful. How are you? Uh,
3: I'm great. I'm great. Yeah, just uh, yeah, having a nice day just here in Tofino, BC. Enjoying myself.
0: What a place to be. I'm jealous.
3: Yeah, it really is. I had a little lunch break today and there was orcas and a pot of orca whales in the inlet. It was uh, kind of magical in the summertime, just like all the wildlife and all the access to nature you have up here.
0: Um, did you grow up there?
3: Uh, I grew up in Vancouver, actually, um, okay. relatively close, but like Tofino, I would consider is like Canada's Hawaii. It's kind of the main place to surf in Canada. Right. Um, so I was drawn here um, through work and just over the years as me getting more into surfing um, kind of was the spot to be.
0: I guess let's just do it then. Um, <laughs> I'll give you a proper introduction in post yeah. so we can just have this conversation. But I mean, this conversation is long overdue because although we've crossed paths, how don't Don't really know a ton about your background, so kind of eager. Yeah, totally,
3: totally. Yeah, stoked to stoked to dive into it. I mean, I haven't really done a lot of these podcasts, but down to just uh, take your lead and and yeah. Yeah,
0: of course. Talk casually. Um, So, tell me about your kind of introduction into surfing. Where you found surfing, all that sort of stuff.
3: Yeah, so um, I grew up in Vancouver from a super big family. Really into just sports in general, kind of competitive. Family in general, five brothers and one sister. Um, but I was sort of, I guess you'd say the runt of the family. I was got more into like skating primarily to start Probably when I was 10 years old and really passionate about skating and then snowboarding where some of my brothers and sisters were into uh, tennis and rugby and more kind of traditional sports but I was definitely into like the independent type sports um, and didn't growing up in Vancouver there's no no surf in Vancouver I mean you get the occasional wind swell but there's not really surf or surf c- culture it's all Vancouver Island um, so I really didn't get exposed to that till I was like 17 18 um, so a little harder and you're obviously up here you're a lot colder water you're wearing a five millimeter wetsuit a hood a gloves like kind of missioning it and the wave quality isn't exactly high um especially when you compare it to other places um so after i graduated high school i actually did a trip to australia which is pretty common for canadians to like travel the east coast of australia and like you know backpack along the way um when i got to sydney i bought like a 6.4 dhd and like tried to get into surfing and definitely didn't really know how to surf at the time, but met a bunch of super friendly Australians and they were, had a trip to Bali planned and invited me to come along. And we did like a boat trip to Samba, Sumbawa, like New Salambagan and like way, way above my like level. But I guess because my like snowboard and skate background, I didn't really have any fear. It was just like, fuck, let's go for it. Um, definitely got rocked a lot of times, um, you know, (laughs) hit the reef, hit the bottom, like broke forwards, but, um, definitely fell in love with it then. And just like saw why people love surfing so much. And then kind of when I came back to Canada, that's really when I like started going to Tofino more and, um, yeah. in later years kind of going to the East coast and just like exploring more with surfing.
0: I'm apprehensive to hype the surf scene in Tofino. Not that, not that I'd be the first, I know, like, obviously there's pro surfers from there and it's been documented a bit, but, what is the surf like there? It seems, whenever I've seen it documented, it seems still like a mission to actually score. Uh, whether it's just getting to this location or timing the swell and the conditions and all that sort of stuff, are there just fun beach breaks that you can access on a day-to-day basis, or what? What's it actually like?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so, so it is really hard to get to, you know, you fly into Vancouver, then you take a two hour ferry boat and then drive a two and a half hour drive. And there's a lot of road closures on the drive. If you're lucky in the, in the summertime, you can jump on a float plane and get there quickly, but doesn't really work for having surfboards and tons of surf gear. So, I mean, that's part of the reason it becomes less crowded, like all of Vancouver Island in general um i mean overall the surf quality is not amazing there's consistent waves all the time like i would kind of compare it sometimes to like cox bay to like the huntington cliffs you know like there's swell a lot of the time but it's not like high quality waves um Mm. and there's not really point breaks or reefs it's mainly you know beach break unless you're going like boat access spots Um, but yeah we won't talk too much about those it's kind of a different different part of it but um yeah I mean east coast definitely has more point breaks and better waves Nova Scotia and those areas but um yeah it's just it's consistent that's what's nice about it and there's actually like it's a really good surf scene in terms of like the crew and the people I don't know if the stat is still correct but I've heard there's more female surfers per capita on Vancouver Island than anywhere else in the world so it's just like very positive vibes and tons of people in the water and like people aren't really aggro it's like very friendly which is really positive um all different types of boards in the water whether it's mid-lengths or long boards or short boards and um yeah just good vibes all around
0: seems like when you work that hard for it it uh somehow stimulates positive vibes like whoever ends up making it to the end totally is kind of part of the part of the brotherhood you know or sisterhood
3: For sure. You're like putting in work. And I think that's like part of it, just like the coldness, knowing that you have like a hot tub to go back to. It's, it's definitely gets pretty cold in the winter time.
0: What is, what's the water temp at its warmest?
3: You know what? I don't even know off the top of my head. I mean, I get down to a three, two in the summertime, um, three, two, like I like wearing like that feral three, two hooded suit, which is like pretty nice. Just so you do duck dives. You don't get like the ice cream brain freeze. Right. Um, But yeah, summertime warms up, but it's still, still crispy. And I like that. It's like, you know, you feel energized and refreshed. Even the wave sucks It's about just getting in the water and having a good time. And, you know, sometimes you're not getting waves. You're just like, I kind of use it as a form of meditation, really, just to get away from the distractions of everyday life. Totally. Um,
0: Uh, So how often do you surf?
3: Um, it's see wintertime every day, summertime, a little bit less. Um, but yeah, at least jump in the water for, you know, I'm kind of a short, so like I'll drop my kids off at school and go for, you know, 45 minutes, like quick power surfs, unless there's like a proper swell, but, um, yeah, the surf is really close to my house. Um, and then I have like a couple jet skis and had a boat until it sank and kind of can go to like different boat access spots too.
0: How, how it sink?
3: uh just some yeah essentially tied up to the wrong spot super high tides flipped it and uh yeah kind of some bad luck but the hull's good but the the, the motor is completely toast um okay. but i've kind of i've kind of moved on to to cd's recently we do all the towels for sea um and they've kind of loaned me a couple for a couple some photo shoots and it's been just amazing exploring with those things it's like motorcycles in the sea totally um wow
0: um, let's talk about your background professionally. What did you study and where did you go to school?
3: Yeah, I studied marketing. I mean, I didn't have like a traditional, I was always entrepreneurial growing up. Um, it was always kind of like hustling, whether it's when I was super young, like selling baseball cards and selling firecrackers and then like working tons of different types of jobs from doing concrete to painting, to DJing, like traveled a ton. Um, but then went to like a community college called Kwantlen college and then Concordia University in Montreal um, studied marketing and economics out there, and then moved to New York for a, for a year. And at that point in my life, I was really passionate about skateboarding, and still am skate skate probably just as much as I surf. Um, and moved to Barcelona for a year to really skate and travel. Um, and then the the marketing, I'd say, like from a school perspective, it helped kind of give you some of the backbone of it. But really, like my education was really working in the industry from working at a snowboard shop and then I started working at um, color magazine which is like a Canadian skate magazine kind of similar to like a monster children or what youth Um, uh, and then I down the road ended up working for what youth for a while but I guess my first career break was uh, running all the marketing for Quicksilver in Canada um, that was kind of like, I got hit up one day I was working at color magazine and I, they, they were like, you'd be great for this job. You know, it's surf, skate, snow, it's running the Canadian team, the retail marketing, the marketing budget. And this is kind of in Quicksilver's heyday. There's some pretty big money being thrown around and, um, it was an amazing job and just an amazing learning experience. Um, and that's really when I dove into like surfing and surf culture, cause I managed the Canadian pros, Raph Bruweiler and Nico Manos. So Nico Manos on the East coast and then Raph. I consider him like the godfather of Canadian surfing and just kind of one of my role models in general, like from camp- camping and fishing to just pioneering all the surf spots up here. Um, so I got to spend a lot of time with those guys and just like promoting Quicksilver, but then also promoting like cold water surfing and, and cold water wetsuits. And I think that stood out to some of the executives at Quicksilver down in Huntington. They're like, oh, this, this guy, Dario in Canada, he's like kind of making a name and really pushing cold water surfing and kind of doing a lot with a little um and as a canadian like you always want to like california is like the pinnacle like how can you get <laughs> like you make you hit your cap pretty quickly in in marketing or especially in action sports in canada so um i eventually got promoted and moved down to the us to be america's marketing director um which is a really cool experience, but also just very hectic because it was the same time when Quicksilver had massive athlete cuts. They cut like 170 athletes in a day. I had to cut the whole like Canadian team. My boss left, like it was so chaotic and just like pretty emotional too. When you spent that much time, like, working with athletes and developing them and your friends. And then like, it's sort of, was just a job for me, but I was still passionate about it. And you had to like cut them be like, it wasn't really our decision. Like the CEO came on board and said, Hey, we're cutting 170 guys. And that that definitely hurt. Um, but yeah, I ended up still moving down to the U.S. and stayed with Quicksilver for a while. And then um, had some friends over at Huff Footwear, which is a skateboard brand um, and moved over to Huff. And Huff at the time was kind of, diving into surf a little bit we had signed um, craig anderson and sponsored cluster which was one of kai neville's films and we did a massive premiere at the ace hotel downtown la and like jam-packed house like people to this day said it was like one of the best surf premieres like tons of celebrities there just a wild night in general and such an amazing venue um and it was cool to see like you know, how much Paul Craig had to just in terms of like with Hayden shapes and like, just all that stuff It was just, it was, it was just really cool to see and experience that and kind of a, seeing a skate brand, like tie into surf culture as well. I think there's a lot of, um, yeah, similarities between the two, two sports. And especially now, like people surf, people skate, people snowboard, you know, it used to be like very divided. Um, and I, it's cool to see like the younger generation, like doing all three and, I'm passionate about all three, and it's pretty awesome to just participate in it all.
0: Yeah. Let's go back to the early Quicksilver days. Um, What year was that big layoff? 2011, Uh, maybe?
3: No, I think it was like 2013, I believe. Yeah,
0: around 2013. When when did you start with them in Canada?
3: Uh, I started with Quicksilver in 2010.
0: Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Right around, right just after the Vancouver Olympics. Um, yeah. And it was cool. Like, I mean, just there was a heyday time at that point too. Like one of my mentors was Tom Holbrook, who was like the executive vice president of sales at Quicksilver. He was the first salesman, um, for the brand. And, he was really into Canada as well. So he'd come up here a bunch and just his, his role was really just relationship building, which I learned a lot from it just shows how important relationships are in the industry and treating people with respect and, you know, treating accounts fairly, but treating riders fairly. And it was just really cool to have someone like that. Um, I mean, the story is I think Bob McKnight hired him at the cannery in Newport beach. They're like friends back in the day. And like the contract that like was, Swallowed by a napkin or something like I signed the sales contract and like Tom, Tom swallowed it. I don't know if that's true, but I remember hearing some stories like that. But yeah, Tom's an epic guy and just rad to have like mentors like that in the industry that I still connect with and just like get feedback from on my brand. But um, yeah, there's some great people in the industry. And um, yeah, well, I don't know that's,
0: that went, but, uh. well, no, it's okay. I'm curious what I kind of want to pick your brain about is you rode that heyday up until you know they're bringing in ceos non-endemic ceos people who don't understand the space really bringing in a new ceo it seemed to do all the bloodletting and okay. then they're going to dispatch that ceo so let's kind of talk about that um, that experience in that corporate kind of cycle life cycle that we've seen happen um, what are the pitfalls? I mean, I guess one question is what are the pitfalls that you witnessed and did you see any of those coming? Like in the heyday, when you have that many team riders, I don't even know, what'd you say? 150 that they ended up cutting?
3: I think they cut 170. I mean, at the time I wasn't responsible for the, I was more responsible for the Canadian ones and I was being promoted to be responsible for some of the the bigger global or America's athletes. But yeah, I mean, that was a massive cut. And to be honest, yeah, there was too many athletes, like at the end of the day, like you don't need that many, but to like do it so abruptly and the way they achieved it, um, you know, bringing in that CEO and just like making these huge cuts. I mean, the biggest thing for me that hurt was just like the skate program in general. It was like, Oh, skateboarding's not bringing any sales. Like we're cutting the entire program. And it was like, okay, well, you know, skates a huge part of the culture and drive does drive sales and that drives brand awareness and makes, a brand cool and is authentic to the culture. And if you just like cut that now you're like a surf snowboard brand and yeah.
0: Um, you, when, when you had that team and they, like you said, they had a lot of money to throw around and all that, did it seem prudent to you to throw that money around and to, or did it seem like, gosh, this feels a little too good to be true? I mean, they were doing
3: a huge amount of sales too. Like you still saw it. It was hard to say though, if like, the core was actually using the products like was that marketing really working like from quicks is was a massive brand doing a massive amount of sales but was like the core surf marketing and core surf team really reflecting the sales hard to say but i can say on specific experience with raf like the canadian rider up here in tofino like he was cut his salary wasn't massive and the sales were way bigger than what his salary was. And the sales just dropped to nothing because everyone here supported him. So if they're going to cut the athlete, okay, they're cutting the brand in general. So it's just not worth it from a tactical sp- perspective. And, and that's part of the reason like regional athletes are so important, especially if they're like tied to a unique um, unique zone. Um, you just You've got to support them.
0: I remember uh, kind of assessing that big cut especially with quicksilver and my thought was i i think you need one or two big global you know kelly slater julian wilson maybe and then you need the regional guys that are not making that much money whose salaries you can justify kind of much more directly you can see how many sales are coming in through those accounts and pay them accordingly it's all the mid-tier guys, you know, totally. it's, it's everybody that ends up in the middle kind of a couple hundred thousand bucks a year times 50.
3: Totally. hundred percent. It's a lot of the Q, a lot of the competitive like QS guys too. Like that's a lot of it too, is like balancing that. But yeah, the importance of having like a, a Kelly or a Dane or a Craig Anderson being like the face of the brand and to really like move the needle and then having those regional guys that are, Yeah, that makes sense, and connect with the people that are actually surfing in those regions, Um, and creating cool content that's that's regional too. Like it's hard for someone here to connect with someone surfing in Hawaii. Like you know, for us as a brand for Slow Tide, it's like my two co-founders are from Hawaii. Like I'm from Tofino. The imagery and marketing and what we're doing is very different. Like. A waterproof changing poncho that you're wearing here you're not really using in hawaii you don't need it it's it's too hot you know so um i think having like the right products and the right um marketing and team that aligns with it makes a lot of sense
0: yeah um beyond those things and also the lesson learned about relationships being key with with accounts what were the lessons that you learned in that corporate environment
3: yeah. I mean, kind of going back to relationships. I mean, that's, that's the number one thing is like, it's a small industry, like treat people well and treat people with respect, but then also just be authentic, you know, as kind of moving forward to our own brand is like do stuff that's true to yourself and true to the brand. And that's kind of where lessons we're learning going into slow tide of like, Hey, work with people you want to work with, put stuff out that you're proud of, um, you know, that you could show your friends and be like, okay, that's cool. And, and products that are really quality that are going to like stand the test of time. You know, you don't want to be embarrassed by something. And that's why we kind of trying to make an elevated product that lasts and has durability and has sustainability. And it's also just our responsibility to give back. I think like some of the bigger corporate brands don't have like much of a give back component to their brand. Um, obviously, like a Patagonia has a super strong and I'm totally look up to them in terms of what they're doing from a give back perspective. But I think that's a huge responsibility as a brand owner and just, you know, consumers want to see that as well.
0: What did you uh how much on the kind of on-the-job learning was there in relation to inventory, um, number of SKUs, number of products that you introduce and cycling through that inventory? And fulfillment and all distribution, all that stuff.
3: I mean, st- Slow Tide has been that learning. Like I've learned more in the okay. last year of Slow Tide than I've ever learned. I think like in a corporate structure, at least with Quicksilver and in Huff, like we were sort of in silos, like marketing was one team, sales was one team, design was one team. Like we were kind of on our own. There wasn't a lot of like do a campaign did that work well? And I think that's shifted a lot now as a lot of the brands have shifted more to direct to consumer where you can see the results right away. You can log into your Shopify account and be like, okay, hey, I posted this, ran this ad, and this is how many sales came through. But I mean, that's been the biggest learning, learning for me and for both my co-founders as well. And just our entire Slow Tide team is like, you have to look at everything, you know? everything from inventory to, to product, to durability, to cost, to margins. Like, it's just like, I learned so much more doing this than I had in the 10 years prior.
0: Well, I know. So you wonder with Quicksilver's growth, it was um, all tied together at some point. Like when did it fracture into silos and how do you lose the connectedness? You know,
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like as you grow, yeah, that might've been before my time, but I think there's somebody who said is like, when you get that big, it's challenging, you know, it gets a lot harder to like, when you're small, it's like, you have visibility on everything. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a small team at Slow Tide and it's like, when you, you I assume when you get to, you know, two, 300 staff, people do silo more and it's hard to like, have that intercompany communication and have sales tied with marketing and, um, you know, I think it's, it's challenging. I haven't seen anyone or worked with a company that's done it perfectly yet. That's
0: for sure. Well, I wonder, I think about, because I interview various people or just kind of pay attention to brands in the surf space. I wonder what the right size is for a company, um, who's selling maybe textiles, clothing or towels or whatever it is where, you know, you're still, um, contributing something meaningful you're not adding to bulk or waste or anything like that but you're profitable everybody makes a living and there's not a lot of redundancy and so i don't know where that number is you know it's hard to hit profitability when you're too small it's easy to have too much waste when you're too big so i'm curious where that is in the middle and you're also still meaningful in the space you know you have relevance to the core you are influencing all that sort of stuff.
3: Yeah. I wonder what that, I mean, that's, that's a challenge. I think we're trying to figure that out as ourselves. I mean, we're still continuously growing and still trying to hit that target mark, but I think, yeah. Who has that perfect balance? Yeah. <laughs> be and and how
0: do you stay? The other thing is how do you stay there? Cause I think Quicksilver hit it, Billabong hit it, and then they run past it as fast as possible when opportunities present themselves. And, um, it's interesting to see some of those people like yourself come out of those environments and kind of take an inventory on what was good, what was bad, and then build these companies based on those lessons learned.
3: Yeah. I mean, the only brand I can think of, I look at like a brand like Stussy that's like still privately held. It's not, I think they're probably about 50 to hundred staff and a good size. I mean, they're not directly in surf, more sort of in streetwear that play in surf, but I mean, we look to them as a brand, and I think a lot of brands look to them as like being very tasteful and premium, and and doing a doing a super good job. And definitely, um, yeah, I'm curious to see what what their internal size is. But yeah, um...
0: Florence Marine X for all of your adventure needs. We know that John John Florence is injured and not competing in CT events right now, but do you really think he's just sitting at home on the sofa? Of course he isn't. He's taking advantage of this rare time off by doing something that he was probably reserving for retirement. He's sailing to parts unknown. Here we are, day nine. Yesterday was a big day for the crew. We got to cross the equator, and today we are anchored in some flat water on a remote atoll in the South Pacific. To do some boat servicing and the wildlife looks incredible and we're gonna go take a look around this first leg of john john's trip covers over three thousand miles in two weeks he's got boards with him on board that sailboat and you can track his entire journey on instagram he's posting little daily clips but he's got a camera crew with him so i think that he will be producing something of a much greater scale for the future as well but you'll also see that he's wearing slash testing all of the gear that you can grab on florencemarinex.com those upf sun protected rash guards uh weatherproof jackets board shorts north shore tested and now being put through the paces in the middle of nowhere on the high seas so follow his journeys on instagram and then of course grab all of your adventure needs on florencemarinex.com enjoy Win a surfboard, any board of your choosing, from RealWaterSports.com on September 13th. Seems too good to be true, but nope, it is as simple as that. All you have to do is give them your email address. Go to RealWaterSports.com, click on Surfboard Giveaway, enter your email address, and click Enter. Boom. It'll take you 15 seconds. The winner will get to pick from any of their 1500 surfboard inventory. Rawson's, Roger Hines, Chris Christensen, Pizel, Lost, whatever you want, guns, shortboards, fish, anything. Go now. Don't forget. This is why we love Real Water Sports. Um, they are a great supporter of our work. They carry anything and everything that you need for anything water-related. They support so many of the shapers that we interview and profile here on the show. So we are just huge fans and then they do really cool give back stuff like this. So why would you go anywhere else? Get a new surfboard, potentially for free at realwatersports.com. Enjoy. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition Tell me about how the concept developed for Slow Tide and maybe start with why you left Quicksilver and when this concept started.
3: Yeah, so kind of as I mentioned before, I've always been very entrepreneurial and wanted to, wanted to start my own thing. I, I left Quicksilver, then went to Huff for a little while. And while I was at Quicksilver, I met um, Kyle Spencer. Uh, when I first moved to California, I was marketing director at Quicksilver. Kyle was design director at BC Shoes. I had nowhere to live and a a Canadian friend of mine was moving out. So I ended up being Kyle's roommate Um, and he was sitting on the other side of the building with me. Um, My third partner, Wiley, uh, was good friends with Kyle. They grew up together and um, I'd heard rumblings of a towel company. Um, They had kind of talked about it and kind of heard them like, oh, that's a really good idea. Like no one's owning that category. We saw a ton of category specific brands, um with a lot of white space and we just thought towels were boring in general like and saw what brands like you know brixton with headwear uh, herschel with backpacks stance with socks like all these category specific brands to doing a good job and focusing on that one category and at the end of the day like everyone uses a towel every day like it's a huge opportunity a huge market and there was no household name in towels so we're just like okay let's let's go for it um so while I was at Huff and Kyle was kind of getting ready to leave DC um while was still at Hurley at the time we started kind of like thinking about different different ideas after he left there I did a uh, surf trip to Nicaragua and really like was like hey I need to do this this is like the next chapter of my life let's go for it I came back and reached out to Kyle and Wiley and said hey, hey let's do this and booked a flight to Hawaii and met with Kyle. And yeah, if we registered the name, it was actually originally called weekend Suns, And then we switched it to slow tide. That was definitely a long process and just picking the name in general. Um, And how'd you land on it? I mean, we had a list of so many names, like it just went back and forth for months trying to figure out the name. Um, I love the name,
0: but where, where did it, is it a term that existed previously or how did the, No, we were
3: we're just like had a list of like a hundred different names and we're just writing like what's related to surf, like the tide, like what's our, what's our kind of like culture, like slow living. I mean, weekend sounds like using the towels on the weekend, like just trying to like spitball different ideas, but it really took a long time. And at first we weren't really confident and it took a while for us to be like, oh, this is it. This like feels good. You kind of have to marinate it on a while, especially when you're not the only one making the decision. You're kind of making it as a group. So, yeah, um, it takes a while to kind of come down to that. But I mean, our first production order also was just like found a factory and like wired money through Western Union and like hoped that towels came back and like a thousand a box of a thousand towels came to my apartment garage in Venice and it was just like okay we're doing this. How do we sell towels now? You know, and it was eight different prints and yeah it's just pretty wild like how so small it starts. And yeah. yeah
0: let's back up a little bit. Um you get the concept you register the name and do you guys go seek uh investment do you guys each chip in a little bit of your own money how does that all work and what do you need to buy obviously you need to buy inventory but what are the other expenses Uh,
3: I mean straight out the gate it was really like registering the LLC like basic getting the web domain like some of those basic ones and um Wiley kind of designed most of the prints we had some collaborations and then we sourced a factory I can't even remember how we sourced it I think it was even before like Alibaba or like how we found the factory it was kind of like a risk like Western union is kind of a risky way to just like send money, like hope something comes back. Um, yeah. And where,
0: we, where was the factory?
3: This was in China um, at the time. And yeah, I mean, none of us had ever been there. It was definitely like, and I think we sent 12,000 bucks. I think it was $4,000 each that so we chipped in from our personal savings. We had no investors. We're just like, okay, hey, we're just gonna, you know, uh, send it and, and hope for the best. And the first run was really rad. And we had, um, a launch party at my friend, uh, Gavin Dogan's place, uh, general admission, which is a shop in Venice on Brooks there and had a super rad release party. And yeah, we just had tons of support too. I think it kind of going back to relationships again, like everyone was stoked that we were trying something new and just going for it. And like, I think that's the best thing about launching is you really realize your like friend network and your support system and people really supported it. And then, then it was like off to the races. It's like, Oh shit, we launched. Like we did, we left, lost our left our jobs. Like we need to do this. We need to, you know, and it still took a couple of years before we really were paying ourselves. So, um, it's definitely been a grind. That's for sure. Like you have to, you have to have that perseverance.
0: So that, um, how many, a thousand towels right out of the gates, you lean on retail relationships who you had previously.
3: Yeah. I mean, there was, I mean, we had them previously, but not really. Cause like I was in marketing, Kyle was in design, Wiley was in design. So like we literally like sat in Wiley's in his living room and like got on the phone and started calling like Jax and HSS, like the three of us were like taking turns and like, you know, Kyle and Kyle and I have kind of a bit more of a sales background than Wiley, but like all of like the three of us just like picking up the phone and finding emails and trying to figure out how to do it. Um, yeah, it was hard. It was really hard. A lot of people were like, no, like towels will not work. Like this is not the right category. Like it definitely, it was not easy at the start. That's for sure.
0: What year was this?
3: Uh, this was 2015. Like we our official launch party was like middle of October in 2015. And we really didn't get it into accounts until like 2016. So we're coming on, uh, seven years this October.
0: And, uh, how long did it take to sell through that first thousand towels?
3: You know what? It didn't take that long. I think it was probably like two to three months. Like it was relatively okay. quick Um okay. quicker than we expected.
0: Got it. Yeah. Um, then it becomes real. If you have money coming in and you need more product, presumably there's a anticipation now that's developed from those retailers. They need more. So how do you kick that into gear? <laughs> for, and do you sure. bring on investment?
3: Yeah. And, and we actually did have, like, we launched it, like, because my background is marketing, a lot of my connections were in the media pl- publications. And we had like a, a press release from uh, Transworld Business of like, you know, these three guys launched Slow Tide, like new categories, new category t- in the towel space. And we had an investor reach out and actually uh, make an early investment, um, which has been like, it was, it was a small amount of money, but it was still like really rad to have that support and belief of like, Hey, you guys can do this. And having someone that's done it before was super helpful just to kind of give us that confidence and say like, Oh yeah, we can do this, you know? Um, and at this point, like it's our baby, like failure is not an option. Like when you're this dedicated and this passionate about it, it's, it's really great. And the fact that the three myself and the co-founders are all in the same boat and like we're pretty much married you know it's like talk yeah. there's a lot of ups and downs um we talk to each other every day and it's but it's cool that we're like people are amazed hey you guys are still friends you're still doing it we still surf together and have a great time and yeah there's arguments for sure but um overall like we've all got the same goal so um super excited to be aligned with them on that
0: yeah that's amazing so i presumed i guess that the original concept was direct to consumer so i'm surprised to hear that it actually was through retail
3: yeah no because like our backgrounds like we always grew up working in surf shops you know and that's where we would shop. like that was and that's kind of like saved us throughout the years is having this omni-channel presence and not being like hey we're not just a direct consumer brand like we want to be we want to support wholesale and want to be found in wholesale and when you buy a wetsuit you go and buy a slow tide poncho or a towel like surfers are using all these things at the same time so it don't just want to um be on the web. And yeah, I think it's really important to have that balance.
0: Yeah. Um, It's just right when you guys launched, it seemed like there was a lot of other brands who launched uh, that really took advantage of maybe it's Shopify or third-party fulfillment or whatever it is. These kind of things that were huge investments previously that were only accessible to corporations were unlocked for smaller brands. And so it seemed to really just uh, a lot of small brands exploded with that fulfillment situation, you know,
3: for sure. It definitely made it easier. I mean, at the end of the day, like building a website now is not very difficult. Like there's a lot of things that the barriers to entry have gotten a lot easier. I think the hardest thing now is to stand apart. You know, how do you stand out and how do you be authentic and how do you be the real brand and the one that's, you know, long lasting, um, that that's the challenge, you know, cause yeah, the, there are way less barriers to entry.
0: So I'm curious to hear a little bit about how the business is structured. Is there um, a headquarters? Does everything ship from the same location when people order it from around the world? Do you guys all work remotely? And uh, tell me about the company itself.
3: Yeah, so we have a headquarters uh, in Costa Mesa on 17th Street, um, right by um, Surfside and Almond Surfboard. So kind of like right in the mix. Um, Really great location. Myself, I live part time or most of the time in uh, Tofino, B.C. or kind of did starting the pandemic. Prior to that, I was in California for eight years. Um, my co-founder Kyle is on the North shore of Oahu, uh, primarily most of the time. And then, uh, third co-founder Wiley's on the North shore of Maui. Um, most of our staff is Southern California based, but they come into the office like one or two days a week. Um, and when we're all in California, we come into the office and like, find it really important to like have those days together and have, you know, staff retreats and go do fun things and really like bond as a team. But pretty remote generally as a company like you know we've got staff hey you want to go work from hawaii for a month go for it you want to go to the east coast and work for a month no problem like that's and i think that's the way to go you know at the end of the day like you need to let people uh live where they want to live and most of the time it's you know email zoom calls and especially like going through the pandemic like we had to do that that wasn't a choice and people don't want to go back
0: yeah it really all, all that really you need to measure is productivity. Exactly. And it's like, if people are productive by w- only working five hours a day, they're more productive than people sitting in a fluorescent lit, fluorescently lit office for eight hours, then that's perfectly fine. Who cares what they do with the other hours? You know,
3: Totally. And just the importance of like, we bring our staff to the North shore every year and that's like, we'll host events there and like really, Go surf and go shark diving and like do towel dyeing and really like see what's happening in the surf industry and like see how the founders live as well, just kind of like tie it all together. So that's been nice to be able to do that um, and just like support the team in general. Um,
0: how many employees do you have at this point?
3: There's about 15.
0: Who is the first hire?
3: Uh, who is the first hire? I'm trying to think right now. Uh, was the sales rep hire, to be honest, like I'm kind of blanking right now. It was independent sales rep. So we had like commission-based sales reps. So yeah, that was kind of like the first, the first tie-in. That makes perfect sense.
0: Um, so you start out selling a beach towel and how many different designs you, did you say?
3: There's eight different designs and they were all okay. printed beach towels. Um, so yeah, we've definitely expanded since then
0: how did you decide on what products to expand into?
3: Um, I think it was just products that we wanted to use and like not one towel fits all. They're all created differently and for different purposes. Um, And I think like, as we expanded into ponchos, they all kind of came down to like necessity and what we were using, you know, like there were ponchos on the market, but it was a really low quality poncho not with like a thick double layer hood, not with nice drawstrings. So like for me being up in Canada more, I'm like, we use these things all the time. Like I drive to the beach in the poncho, like in my wetsuit to protect my car seat. And you're like, you're cold, checking the waves. Like you, you functionally need them. Um, And then like being in Hawaii, I was like, well, Turkish towels are a bit more lightweight. It makes more sense, like packing them and using them from sun protection. Um, People traveling with some of our like quick dry towels that print really well and are highly absorbent. Um, So it expanded pretty quick, but it was more out of necessity and like what we saw um, how we could own the category and then, um, yeah, what was needed and what people are asking for. And um, we pull our, we pull all of our customers too, and do like customer surveys and really ask our customers what they want in terms of collaborations and in terms of materials. Um, so that's definitely pretty insightful for us. And just talking to retailers, um, as well, like some of the store buyers of like, Hey, what do you think about this collaboration? Or what do you think about what's, what's moving in your store? What could, what could use some work?
0: Right. Um, Tell me about rethinking how products are made and how much was that a a part of the company's ethos from the start or was it a need that you saw develop uh, as you got into manufacturing?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, ethical manufacturing and like sustainability has always been like a huge part of the brand. Um, I don't really handle any of the production side of things. That's more Kyle and Wiley's background. Um, they've kind of made some of the, the trips to our factories, um, and really make sure we're up to par with all of our certifications. We use a cotton needs program for all of our cotton sourcing, which verifies it's all sustainably sourced. We're Oco tech certified it just means there's no harmful dyes dyed used all of our, um, our uh, quick dry materials are made from uh, post-consumer waste. So like recycled materials. So um, it's definitely a huge part of the brand. And I think the biggest part of our sustainability is, you know, they're the, the really high quality. So they're longer lasting. So you actually don't need to buy as many, you know, it's like our towels last a lot longer. I still see friends and people on the beach that have towels from our launch from 2015. And that like, makes me super proud to be like, wow, like that print still looks good and they're still using it. And, you know, it's, seven years later. And that's, that's not common with a lot of products. Um, so no, it, isn't. it makes us like very excited. I mean, it somewhat can be challenging from a business perspective. So, you know, if someone's going to buy a poncho, like they've got it for a while and don't really need to replace it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it makes us really proud to like, see that our products standing the test of time.
0: I mean, if they're happy with the poncho, they won't replace it, but they'll come back and buy bath towels
3: yeah exactly exactly and that's kind of why we're like looking to yeah different channels the home in general and you know what are their towels and other products and just I mean our brand is really associated with coastal living and taking something that you use every day and turning it into a functional piece of art that that lasts so like what are those other categories that tie into that that we haven't done yet I mean people ask us all the time like hey you should do like hats umbrellas chairs like all these other things and we are like No, we're we got so much room to grow in the towel category at the end of the day like there's there's still not really like we want to be that
0: household name a towel so yeah um i'm curious about biggest missteps as a company thus far
3: (sighs) biggest missteps i mean it's it's hard to say because like you don't want to have any regrets but i mean we probably could have raised a ton of money right out the gate and like been a bigger D 2 C brand right out the gate and like picked a category and, and blew it out. But like now looking back, you see a lot of those these direct consumer brands that just only focus on direct consumer. Now they're wishing they had a wholesale background. So I mean that's kind of like the one thing I think about of like hey if we raised you know millions to start right when we launched, we probably could be in a f- further ahead but maybe not at the same time. You know, we could have we probably would have just focused only
0: on D 2 C it's also easy to um, misspend that money, misappropriate totally. those funds and make bigger mistakes, I guess. Totally. And if you're not, if you're not taking on that investment, you're really running lean and you have to do things correctly, you know, or profitably, I should say.
3: Totally. And that's like, we've kind of just been known to do a lot with a little, and that's it's nice to be able to do that and kind of continue that ethos as a brand and not waste and not overspend and keep the team tight and, Yeah. I think it just like makes it a little bit more manageable to do that as well.
0: I think so. Um, Have there been any growth opportunities that you, I mean, I guess that is probably one, but growth opportunities that you've elected to not uh, exploit.
3: Um, Probably just like huge big box retailers that have like knocked on our doors or like no, we're, you know, we're staying core and staying in our, in our distribution channels and not going to, you know, a Costco or a Target or some of these other channels that, you know, would happily bring our brand in. But, you know, we want to stay true to who we are and continue to grow the brand healthy and, um, yeah, not move that direction. I'd say that was some of the ones. And I think just collaborations in general too, like our brand is really, a lot of it's built on like collaborating with different brands and different artists. And at the start, it was, you know, really hard to get get those collaborations. And now the tables have turned, you know, we get hit up every day on collaborations and different partnerships and different licensing deals and have just learned, you, you have to learn to say no, because I think part of brand building is also just like, yeah, making less mistakes, but then also focusing um, and like not getting pulled to one side just because someone's like, hey, I have this opportunity or this event or this thing popped up and you're like, well, that what's not really part of our plan. So um, that can be really challenging too, especially like discussions. Cause they get, you know, between partners who's deciding who's making that call. Like, are we missing an opportunity? Um, it's really nice to have like a group of advisors to kind of bounce some of those ideas off as well. Um, but yeah, overall, like, I feel like we're in a really good place.
0: Is there a way to incorporate or to take some of those big box opportunities and work with a Target or Costco, but do it um, in a way that services your needs.
3: I mean, I haven't really like other than having like a a, a separate brand name. You know, I haven't really seen a lot of brands do it well. Um, yeah, I mean, there just there is a way, but I don't know if it's under the same like banner name. Um, yeah, it, it'd be challenging.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking about collaborations and I know how do you, how obviously you're turning down some, but how do you pick the ones that you do uh, engage in?
3: Yeah, I think it's like, I mean, from our team to our staff, to my co-founders, like who we're friends with, who we get introduced to, um, who we like and watch in general. Like, I mean, for instance, we did Towels with Mikey February to support his um nonprofit good juju that supported Waves for Change. And that was through a connection, Damien Farinfort Duma, really good friend of mine. I worked with him for a long time at Quicksilver. He introduced us and we got along super well. Obviously, love Mikey surfing and what he represents and just his style and just everything about him in general. And he had this nonprofit he was he was doing, and we love to support and give back any way we can. And that was just you know through a warm introduction through a good friend and obviously someone we wanted to work with I mean another one Chippa Wilson when I was a what youth we did a couple trips with him and him and I got along really well and I mean for me having like a skateboard background like I love his surfing and just how explosive he is and just uh his his style is super unique and he's really into like tattoos and I have really some good tattoo artist friends we picked uh, picked a designer. He worked with a good friend of mine, Dan Kleiman to work on a design for a towel. And then we set up, the uh, yeah, like a royalty agreement and push this towel and take it from there.
0: Um, yeah, I've always really, uh, appreciated the selections or the, the, uh, partnerships and collaborations that you guys choose into. And they're, uh, eclectic as well. Like you got Mikey February and then you got Wu Tang, then you got Keith Herring, and then you got Cynthia Raleigh, you know?
3: Yeah. So. I think, I think overall too. I mean, like, yes, our backbone is in surf, but like, we're not just for surfers, you know, we're an inclusive brand for everyone. Like tons of people that buy our products don't surf and probably know nothing about surf. They might've bought yeah. our Keith Herring towel from the Broad Museum, you know, and it's not a surf shop. Like we're distributed in some of these other channels that, um, we want to be for everyone, you know, and I think surf will always be a part of the brand and part of the culture, but it's not everything. So I think just like right. tying that back in um, and just kind of trying to elevate and also like educate um, through art and um, through just like making art more accessible in general.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Uh, there's a lot of learning curve that you've had to go through in this experience. I would think one of them is just the legal aspect of it, whether it is bringing on that first investor or doing these collaborations and creating some sort of an incentive program, like who's responsible for all that. And um, I mean, that seems daunting to me. (laughs)
3: yeah i mean we just got introduced to a good lawyer early on and he kind of like gave us templates for a lot of these things so a lot of it is like a template we reuse like you know a royalty agreement or a collaboration agreement it's actually like not as complicated as you would think Um, i mean you can make them complicated but where i was like hey i need a one page you know contract royalty agreement because like i don't need a 20 page thing you know that's the it's relatively straightforward like you are using this art or using the name of likeness of this person you sell this many units and pay them that much like um it sounds more complicated than it than it actually is
0: okay good yeah (laughs) (laughs) um everybody I mean the reality is when it's three of you everybody's wearing so many hats and yeah that's just one that is uh feels fraught with peril if you get it wrong you know
3: Yeah. And I mean, some of those hats, like, yeah, I wear a lot of those hats too. And sometimes you're like, Oh, I don't want to be that guy. Do I have to wear that hat? You know? And you're like, well, no one else is doing it. So someone's got to do it. So I think that's just like, until you get big enough to hire, you know, specific people. And is that the priority, you know, and trying to like decipher um, who those key hires are. I mean, it's really important. And they're also like big discussions
0: of like, Hey, what's, what's our biggest opportunity here. And so, yeah. Uh, you mentioned having advisors has been really helpful. Can you unpack that a little bit? Do you guys have, is it an official board of directors or do you each just have mentors that you've relied on? Yeah.
3: So we have, I mean, we have a lot of friends that have like small companies in similar range, like friends with Rama from Banks Journal and like I mean, just tons of other brands in our similar scale that will kind of like bounce ideas off. But we do have uh, a small group of investors that are advisors. Um, It's not a formal like board of directors. It's more like, you know, we'll send quarterly updates and then also um, just text, be like, hey, do you know this person? Like, here's an opportunity. You know, can you send a warm introduction? Pretty casual in general. But I mean, there are like bigger decisions Well, we'll bring them together as a group and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this what are your thoughts? Um, and I think it's super valuable. I mean, sometimes you have to take them with a grain of salt because at the end of the day, it's our company and the three of us, like we need to give ourselves confidence a lot. Sometimes we don't give ourselves enough confidence. It's Like, Hey, we've gotten this far, um, you know, seven years, the three of us like really running it. And I think, yeah, we need to give ourselves a little bit of credit and I don't think we do that enough, but I think it's important as an entrepreneur too, just to just be like, you got this, like it's, it's doable.
0: Yeah. Um, for listeners who are feeling the entrepreneurial inspiration and maybe have an idea or a concept, I should have asked you this question earlier. You mentioned, um, you guys were able to pay yourself at a certain point. How do you exist for a couple of years without paying yourself?
3: I mean, you don't spend a lot. You're you're pretty frugal, but I mean, we had decent jobs beforehand. So we're able to like, we were all in, you know, action sports at like director executive level. So I think all of us were able to like have a little bit of savings. Um, but I mean, all of us like rented small houses and didn't have fancy cars and didn't eat out a lot. And I mean, I was, when we were launching slow tide, my wife was pregnant. Like it was definitely like a lot going on that we're like, okay, hey, this has to work, you know? So, um, I think having Did- that drive and then just being like frugal too, sometimes
0: was, uh, what was her opinion on you quitting your job and starting something with a, that was uncertain while she was pregnant or what did her parents think about that?
3: I mean, she was a trooper. It's just, to be honest, she never really complained about it at all. She was like, okay, we're fine. Like, we've got what we need. And I think like, that's the whole thing too, is just like having gratitude and showing as much gratitude. I mean, her parents are on the East Coast. So we kind of would only see them once a year. So I wouldn't really get like, anytime we'd see them, it'd be more of a celebration. They wouldn't really give me too much shit. But um, yeah, I think just like, practicing gratitude and being grateful for what you have. And especially being in Southern California, I mean, we were running, we were broke, but we were in Costa Mesa. Like, I mean, there's surf, there's like so much there. Like, I know you compare, can can compare yourself to your neighbor, but at the end of the day, like we still had it pretty good. Um, Yeah.
0: Good. Um, Having, I mean, having a support system, by the way, who believes in you and sees the vision, I think is huge too
3: hundred percent. And to have partners too. Like, I think I couldn't have done it on my own. Like none of us could, like we kind of help each other out and like, you need that as support system and having other co-founders, I think is really important um, to help drive and help like, Hey, we can get over this next hump and and boost your confidence.
0: Totally. Um, We started the conversation talking about athletes and sponsorships. Have you guys looked at that model? Is that ever something that you would consider for Slow Tide? And what are your thoughts on it at this point?
3: Yeah, so our model is like a little bit different. Like we do uh, sponsorship through collaborations and through signature products. So like we will give, for instance, like a Chippa Wilson, like he gets a royalty on his towel and that's how we uh, sponsor them or support them. I mean, we also do photo shoots that we support and have done like revenue share codes of like, hey, if you drive this much traffic, you get paid based on that. Um, and it, I feel like it just makes sense and it's pretty fair. I mean, it's harder with an athlete, but for artists and brands, it's like, Hey, if it does well, we all work together. We all, we all make money. It all makes sense. Um, but I mean, we do a lot of like seating and gifting to like core surf and decor, um, retailers. And that's like definitely a big thing, but I think like putting an athlete on a specific salary, it's hard to say if that'll ever be ever make sense for us.
0: Do you think, with your experience elsewhere, is it equitable for anybody? Does it make sense for anybody, or is there? I'm wondering if there's smarter ways to do it because the way that you just outlined, I think that would even work for a Quicksilver um, if they just rethought the process. The way that you do it incentivizes Chippa Wilson to actually promote the product as well, you know, and in fact. The amount that he promotes it he'll benefit from and so totally i just wonder if just somebody guaranteed getting a paycheck every two weeks yeah i mean
3: them i think I think more and more, like most athlete contact, contracts are like tied to like deliverables as well, like social media posts or number of photo shoots per year, like, and those are all really tied back to sales. But at the end of the day, I mean, like, if we had bigger marketing budgets too and can support these athletes more, I still think it's really important, you know, they have to travel to get to where they're going. Um, there's like other things beyond a royalty that could cover it. And I think part of it is like, we're not just as i mentioned we're not just a surf brand we're kind of beyond surf and we're like going to home and collaborating with artists and collaborating with different brands so i think like if you're it's different for like a rip curl that like hey we are the most core surf brand and we're touting ourselves as this like i think they're kind of it's their responsibility to pay those athletes you know who are competing if they're trying to push that's their prerogative right
0: yeah that makes sense um so how do you think about advertising in the surf space then? The surf space has changed so much. Um, how do you guys think about that dynamic?
3: I still think it's super important. I think like, you know, because it's, you know, that's where the content creation is coming from as well. So I think like the content is great created and the eyeballs are there. It's worth it, you know, and it makes sense to support that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we support uh, advertising with surf and um, I think, at the end of the day, you're either advertising there or you're advertising on Facebook or Google or YouTube. I'd rather give money, more money back to the surf industry in general and support surf media.
0: Do you see a return on that Facebook and Google spend? Oh yeah, for sure. You do? Yeah. Okay. Totally. Um, what surf media do you pay attention to nowadays? Um, stab for sure.
3: Uh, Monster Children. I mean, obviously looking at forecasts on Surfline every day, um, actually up here more in Canada, it's like more like magic seaweed or windy or more like actual, um, navionics and different, uh, weather ones that are less surf related. But, um, yeah, it's for me, like probably more stab because it's the most, like for me, just entertainment. Um, I'm not really into like contest watching that much personally, but why not? Or were you ever? Not really. I was kind of more into video parts and just like exploration and like going, it's just sort of unrelatable to me too. It's going back to like even skateboarding. It's like, sure, X games and Olympics and like all these crazy tricks. But if someone just does like one stylish trick that I could foresee myself doing, I'm more into that. It's like, oh, I could maybe do that. Like, or something that looks somewhat similar to that. You know, that's what I like respect or just doing it in a really stylish way.
0: Totally. Um yeah I agree with you though Stabs doing a phenomenal job. I think they always have but they've kind of evolved obviously in what they're doing and what they're doing now I find a lot of value in. I love the freemium kind of business model for them and I think that they've leveraged that revenue to improve all of their offerings and actually give us better and better content.
3: Totally. I agree 100%. And it's kind of interesting how it's all like a lot of it shifted to just to like you know, you're getting a lot of your media from like Instagram and social media. Um, so it's like kind of easily accessible too. And it's also highlights too, which is, I do miss like long form videos too. And like really learning a story versus just like a quick hit, but, um, also just trying to like get better at not being so addicted to social media too. It's definitely adds a lot of procrastination and, um, Yeah. I was actually listening to a podcast the other day. It was kind of just about like living a better life. And they had this acronym WWW and it was from relating to social media, like what for, like, why are you using it? Why now? And what else? It's like, so what's the purpose of it? Why are you looking at it right now? Is it midnight? Like, and what else could you be doing? Getting a good sleep, you know, like or hanging with your kids or going surfing. And I've been trying to think about that more and more as I like to look at social media. I'm like, okay. What for, why now, what else?
0: I, I really haven't been using it uh, for maybe six months now. I'll open it up and scroll occasionally, but I haven't been posting at all. And even the scroll, I do not get nearly as much value out of it as I used to. And hardly any entertainment anymore mm-hmm. either, you know? So, so yeah, less incentive for me to use it. But um, that's what I, so you're right. Stab has used social media for updates and highlights, delivery of news. But what they've done, I think, with that new revenue is build out those longer form pieces, like these tent pole pieces that the year centered around, totally. with stab, in, stab in the dark, surf 100, stuff like that uh, is what I look forward to the most. You know, I don't necessarily even need the surf news at this point in my life, but those things I actually carve out time to engage with.
3: Yeah, they really draw you in like the, the social media is like, here's this snippet and like come watch the yeah. long form, which is awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. And it's it's just
3: entertaining. It's like good and it's creative. It's different. That's what I like too. It's not just like predictable.
0: Right. Totally. Um, so you don't get any print or I guess monster children's in print, right? You get that.
3: Uh, I mean, I haven't got it recently, but we get it to our office. I love reading it. I love getting back to print, but, um, I don't, I haven't, (laughs) I haven't had one up here in Tofino in a while.
0: Gotcha. Um, I'm curious what up-and-coming, are there any up-and-coming surfers we should know about in Tofino?
3: Um, well, Raph Breweiler's son, Shea Breweiler, absolutely rips. Um, he's been shredding. And how old is he? How old is he? I think he's 14. Um, okay. Yeah, he's shredding. He skates really well as well. And he's like, I mean, his dad's an absolute legend, so you know, he just went down to the Rip Curl contest. It's like the Grom search they had in Huntington Beach. Um, went down there. And, yeah, it's just cool to see, like, people from up here um, shredding. Also, Reed Platinius, um, another surfer, both Rip Curl guys from Tofino, but shredding and, and competing. And, um, I mean, we saw Pete DeVries up here who absolutely crushes it. No one can really compete with him uh, in the waves up here. Um, but there's not really like they have the rip curl pro contest, uh, every year they used to have the Coldwater classic, but there's not a lot of
0: contests up here. It's more like a photography and video. Yeah, totally. Um, final question is whose boards are you writing?
3: I have mainly channel islands boards and I like, I have what do I have the like Mikey Feb twin pin, fish beard a lot of like twin fins and I've, I've realized I need to get back to surfing thrusters I did a trip with a couple of buddies a little while ago and did some board swaps and I'm like oh that's why my turns are so slow and just like I don't know it's kind of I've been surfing yeah quads and twin fins and like fishes for a while I mean the waves are a lot mushier here too so you kind of need that extra volume and something that goes a little faster but um, I need to get back to surfing thrusters to try to like turn a little more vertical and I mean, from the background of skating, I like boards that are really short and trying to like hack and just do things like, not that I could surf anything like Wilson, but I wish I could. I like that style of surfing.
0: Where'd you, what trip did you go on or where to?
3: Uh, We did just like a Vancouver Island trip, kind of a Northern Vancouver Island trip. Yeah. I have, I have a trip coming to, we're going to East Cape of Mexico for a friend's 40th in two weeks. So that should be interesting. Um, nice. It's going to be pretty warm down there. I don't know what I'm going to do about my pale Canadian skin. Just like layer it up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, bring a Turkish towel.
3: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Get, Sun it protection. Wet.
0: Get it wet and then drape it over you. For sure. This has been uh, informative and interesting. So thanks for taking the time. I, a lot of this, I wonder again about building a brand. I, I'm paying attention to all these different people and kind of making assessments or uh, assumptions about what's going on. So it's great to hear kind of the inner workings and the behind the scenes stuff.
3: Yeah, it was really nice talking with you. And I mean, yeah, building a brand, it's a challenge, but it's a lot of fun and like entrepreneurs out there, like just go do it. Don't wait, just like try, you'll learn so much from it. Um, But yeah, really great chatting with you. It's a really nice conversation.
0: You guys have done such a good job too, by the way. I'm always rooting for you, but when I see kind of the way that you're evolving each year, I'm always impressed by the decisions being made
3: awesome really appreciate the kind words and, and thanks for the support we we really appreciate it and couldn't do it without you know all the supporters
0: right on all right thanks dario appreciate it have a great afternoon all right talk to you soon bye Bye. you'll always have smokes if you always give buckets of love
1: like little sad who was living on Beatles and drugs he had a blue eye love and the in him-
0: Thank you, Dario Phillips. Um, You can find everything that we've discussed in today's show on surfsplendorpodcast.com. I've posted links to Slow Tide and all of their stuff on there as well. And um, they've been partners of ours on a sponsor level for a number of years now, kind of intermittently throughout the year. We do little um, campaigns with them, but they've been a great partner and I use their products in my daily life. Uh, the towels, certainly for the beach. I have towels for the house, we have beach blankets, kind of everything, changing ponchos, of course. So consider them for future purposes, of course, and we'll, of course, reintroduce them throughout the year for, uh, as a sponsor in commercial spaces on various shows. But thrilled to connect with Dario and his crew. They're doing phenomenal work, and, um, and we're grateful to have them in the surf space. And then of course, we're giving away that panda shiitake that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Don't forget to get signed up for that on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Scott Bass and I have an episode of Spit coming out this week. And then Chaz Smith and I will also be recording The Grit at the end of the week. So tons of content to come all over. I've got new episodes in the can of Surf Splendor coming at you um, from all sorts of people. Torn Martin and I are supposed to be reconnecting. He's actually been sailing, so I wanted to catch up with him about that. Uh, Laurie Towner, who suffered a concussion recently. We were scheduled to chat about his new film, Slow Lane, and uh, that's been postponed while he recovers. So shout out to Laurie, wishing him all of the best. And then we've got Greg McGillivray next week, who's releasing a 50th anniversary of Five Summer Stories and a book to go with it so lots of phenomenal storytelling in that episode coming at you next week all right thanks so much for all of your support my name is david scales for surf splendor and until next week i'm encouraging you to get back into the ocean share some waves and as always shred on. And don't forget to post your job for free at LinkedIn.com/surf. That's LinkedIn.com/surf to post your job for free. Terms and
1: conditions apply. Ah, hmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy.